The Athletic. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with Now. With a Now Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. They've had their warning. They've had their warning. Here's Lucy Bryans. That is remarkable from Arsenal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Now. Coming up, Leon Arda to beat than expected. Barca's bubble bursts. And having the patience of a saint pays off. It's Kate Borsay here with Lindsay Hooper and we have a Champions League winner in the house. It's England and Arsenal centurion Rachel Yankee. How are you, Rachel? I'm good, thank you. <laughs> now, if anyone's wondering if Rachel's regressed to a baby, she hasn't. <laughs> She's just got one with her. Baby Sienna, born in December. A huge congratulations from us. And she's going to be our podcast pal today. She is. She was quiet for the whole of the time when we were sitting up and now she just wants to talk. She's sprung into life because she knows that this is where all the activity is, Rachel, now. (laughs) This final end of season show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just going to indoctrinate her with even more women's football as if there wasn't enough from her mum already. (laughs) Um, So we're going to try and whisper our way through. No, we won't. We'll just carry on as normal and we'll see if Sienna wants to join in along the way. How did you enjoy the Champions League final, Rachel? Oh, yeah, it was brilliant. I mean, just... For the start of it, just the atmosphere, the opening show, it was all just just amazing. It's just, you know, it's just nice to see that many fans, you know, in the stadium. Obviously, it's being free to air. Just that many people can watch two great sides go at it. And, uh, and I don't think the final disappointed either. Well, look, there's so much to discuss in the final, isn't there, Linz? We're going to enjoy going through this one. We do, Kate. We need to dissect this final in full because it didn't go to script. It didn't turn out as many expected. This is how it all unfolded between Barcelona and Lyon in Turin. Barcelona 1, Lyon 3. In the 2019 Champions League final, after just 30 minutes, Barcelona were 4-0 down against Lyon. And then in 2022, after 33 minutes, a supposedly revamped Barcelona, the current holders, were 3-0 down. Was history going to repeat itself? So much was meant to have changed between these two teams, yet last year's baton didn't stay with Barcelona. It was passed back to Lyon for their eighth 
Champions League title. Uh, the Athletics women's football reporter Charlotte Harper is going to join us for a chat about this one. She was in Turin for the game, spoke to some of the players afterwards as well. So let's welcome her in. Charlotte, have you recovered? Just about. Uh, I was getting goosebumps when you were introducing it there. Brilliant occasion. And the Barca fans really set the tone before the game. They were just flooded. <laughs> Turin City Centre. Hands up from all of us. So I'm looking at Rachel Kate uh, on a video call right now. Who had Leon to, to cause an upset here? When everyone was Me. saying Barcelona. You did. Me. I said this okay. last week on the podcast. I have it down. I have Wendy Renard. Watch out for her. Never say die on the podcast last week. So I am gloaty McGloat face today. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, what what was what was it like in the lead up to the game, Charlotte? Did it feel like the Leon fans were a bit rattled by Barcelona and all the talk around them? I mean, you look at their history. They didn't have anything really to worry about. They wanted some revenge, didn't they? I think Barca fans completely outnumbered them. <laughs> I was uh, in the city centre and you just had this blockade of Barca fans coming towards you. And then I saw two Leon fans and they just turned and went in the other direction. <laughs> um, and on the on the way there I, uh, to the stadium... Our taxi had to re-divert because the Barca fans were packing the streets. And then you saw kind of police cars just trying to disperse them a bit. Um, Sorry, Charlotte. I think I think everyone has got thunder in the background, by the way. So if anyone's listening, wonder, wondering what the almighty crash is, we've simultaneously in different parts of London and Greater London got thunder going on here. So that's why there's some there's some almighty sound effects going on in the background. Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, so... In the quarterfinals, when the team bus entered at the new camp, like the fans were singing and it was really emotional and the same atmosphere here as well. But that didn't affect Lyon at all. I was at the Parc des Princes in the semi-final between PSG and Lyon and the PSG ultras were incredible with the drums banging and the piercing whistles. And Lyon, you know, stuck to their game plan, came out on top on that occasion as well. Uh, and they did so again on Saturday. Mm, well, look, the heavens here are agreeing with what a dramatic final it was. Uh, you know, even though I fancied Leon, it did, of course, the nature of the game took us all by surprise. Yanks, let's get you into this uh, first of all. And Charlotte, do stay with us because I'm you know, keen to hear what some of the players had to say afterwards. But if we look at how Leon did it tactically, how were they superior, do you think, Yanks? My question before the game was, how are they going to start? Which team's going to go for it? Because Leon versus Barca in 2019, it was all Leon. They put, put real pressure on them, fast start, getting the goals. But then last year's final with, with Chelsea, it was Barcelona that did that kind of exact same thing to Chelsea. And I was like, well, who's going to go for it this time? <laughs> and Leon absolutely went for it. And, and I think that, that intensity, they didn't allow Barcelona to, to get on the ball and play. I just think that they were really aggressive um, in the way that they played and, um, you know, they, they stifled them and then they took control of the game and, they, and they, just, they just controlled that game brilliantly. But, yeah, I mean, Barca just, they just couldn't get into it. And I wonder whether there was, um, you know, nerves, mentality, the, the, the fact that they had the pressure on them. I wonder if that sort of played a part. Charlotte, let's bring you into this and just talk about the transitions. I think Leon 
knew early on, well, knew before the game that most of the possession was going to go to Barcelona. So how are they going to work this game in their favour? Uh, and it was going to be all about the transitions, finding opportunities in the transitions. And I think Barcelona really struggled to cope with the strength of Leon at those points. Definitely. Leon, as Yank said, put Barcelona under pressure for those first 20 minutes. When I spoke to Amandine Henri um, after the game, she said that was their game plan and they knew that they had to kind of suffer for those 20 minutes and work really, really hard. But as soon as they got that opening, they knew then that they had to finish them. And that's what Leon did. I don't think Barcelona have been put under that scrutiny coming into this final. And they're slow starters, Barcelona. If you look, like they've conceded first seven times in their last 10 games. And in half of those 10 games, they only pulled clear and really got into their stride in the second half. Got to remember in their quarterfinal against Real Madrid, they were 2-1 down. It was only in the second half again that they really turned the screw. So Leon knew that that first goal was crucial. And oh my, what a goal it was. Amandine Henri, when I spoke to her afterwards, she just couldn't believe it. She said it was the goal of her, her life and her footballing career. I would have been the ultimate fangirl, Charlotte. I just I just would have been a bit starstruck after that goal speaking to her. Yeah, she is brilliant. Obviously, it's much easier when they're so happy. And even Selma Basha uh, was talking in French and her first response was just, wow. And no matter, <laughs> you're talking English or French, you got that. And Amandine said she just saw the gap. She didn't even ask herself the question. She just hit it. And that is really a thunderous strike. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had so much thunder during a podcast as this, but I'm kind of liking it. Pathetic I've got thunder. bright sunshine at my 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 end of London. Um, and she she just knew. She said she saw it going into the top right hand corner, and she didn't even see the ball ripple the back of the net. She just wheeled away in celebration. But off oh, fifth minute in. And it came out of nothing, but that that set the tone. And as as Yank said, Leon were on the front foot, and they got Barcelona rattled. And Barcelona never settled. They Leon forced them into making so many errors. And I think Barcelona, you could say, were sloppy, but it was Leon that put them in that vulnerable position. What do we think about? Leon being so dominant in the Champions League. I think Barcelona last year, it was that glimpse that there might be a new dawn, a new era of a side potentially taking a stranglehold for a while. But it's over so soon, as quick as it began, really, Yanks. (laughs) Has that been good for the game or not? I mean, I spoke to a lot of neutrals afterwards who said, actually, Barcelona winning would have been an interesting one because then they'd have got back-to-back titles, we might have thought, well, the, there's quality teams here that are going to be fighting for some years to come. But by by Leon winning, does that set it back to, to them just being the dominant side again? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think that Leon, Leon played a great game, but I still think there's so much quality in that Barcelona side. I think when you go into a final or any game, really, you can have one or two players having an off day or not performing they had pretty much 11 um, that just weren't up to their usual standard. And when that happens in a final, you end up losing. So if there was to be a final next year and it was those two same teams, you know, I think that you, you could see Barcelona 
learning from from what's happened this year and previously and and going on to to possibly get a victory but it will show their character really and they have to dig deep and they have to you know really look at themselves because I think that they would be so disappointed that they you can lose a final but the fact that they didn't turn up they didn't perform I think they'll be really disappointed with that and for me the difference between the two teams was the leaders you saw that uh, with Leon. They had three experienced players that were leaders, Renard, Henri, Hegebert. They just took the game. They, from m- minute one, they took the game and they was like, we ain't going to lose this. People are talking about us. It was like their, their pride was hurt. <laughs> you didn't see that with Barcelona. You didn't see anybody sort of stand up and be like, you know, this. we need to get a grip back onto this game. And for me, I think that was the biggest difference. It's almost like Charlotte, Barcelona didn't have another answer. They didn't have a plan B. Do we accuse them of being too presumptuous going into this final, perhaps not being prepared enough? I think, uh, no, Barcelona will have done their homework. They, I think they were prepared and, and they knew what they had to do going into it. As Yank said, I think it's a lot about experience and that mentality. Like, Leon weren't afraid of Barcelona. They've been in 10 Champions League finals. That was Barcelona's third. And I don't think you can underestimate the the learning that they've done throughout those those years. You know, the semi-final second leg against Wolfsburg, losing 2-0. People who I spoke to uh, in Barcelona were saying that was kind of mentality. They just switched off. They knew that they'd got to Turin. Whereas you compare that to Lyon's second leg semi-final away win against PSG and Sonia Bonpastor, the head coach, is really pleased because they said, you know, they controlled it from start to finish. We must give her a shout, shouldn't we, really? She's the first woman to win the Champions League as a player and as a manager as well. So we must just celebrate that. I I just wanted to, to, to also ask you about what the Barcelona head coach had to say after the game. Yeah, I think that first goal, he said there was a moment of confusion in terms of unease and unsettlement. And that just, you know, put the cat amongst the pigeons a bit with Barcelona. But he also referenced that they should have played quicker. They should have played faster. He said, we have players who are able to do that and we should have more resources in our attack. And that was quite telling that he took Jenny Hermoso off at half time. Can we talk about injuries as well? Arda Hegerberg, she had that awful injury, Yanks, and now 59 goals in 60 Champions League games. It's as if she's just literally come in and if if not even further taken off from before the injury, which seems quite incredible when you're watching. You see players coming back and we've seen it this season with Lucy Bronze, haven't we? She's needed a bit more time. How is it that this, this woman's a bit superhuman? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, you have to look at the people that are around her, a support network. Obviously, her mentality, you know, she wants to get back to being the best. But they would have, you know, taken their time with her and and supported her in every way to give her the best opportunity to be able to do that. So, you know, obviously, we know what Leon have got, but behind the scenes, they must have a fantastic support team and and really being able to work with her and not just her uh, physical fitness, but her mental fitness as well, because... You saw her in that game. She looked. She looked on it. And then the other news, injury-wise, was to do with Ellie Carpenter 
ruptured her ACL. I mean, she'll be looking at Hegerberg, won't she, thinking, I won't let this affect me. She hasn't let it affect her coming back from injury. But it looked like that was quite innocuous, Charlotte, at the time. When you were there, were the gasps, did it feel like that sort of injury that's going to keep her out for some time? Because she was just running after the ball, wasn't she? Yeah, I think she went to go for the ball and then she just went down. And my mum actually texted me and she said, it looks like an ACL. Um, she's done that twice and and yeah I think one of those things it was like the PSG um, goalkeeper as well it it looked a serious one the stretcher came out and it was interesting the referee let a lot go she played a lot of advantage and they were clattering into each other it was a really physical game which I think benefited Leon in terms of their style of play yeah, so it took Arda Hegerberg 21 months, didn't it, to recover after she ruptured her ACL. Ellie Carpenter's got less than 14 months to recover if she's to regain fitness before the Women's World Cup in, of course, her own country in Australia. So uh, we're sending her our best. Do you know, I got really excited during this game for the Euros, as I have done, actually, for uh, a lot of these uh, coming to the end of the season games. And just the fact that we're going to be treated to so many of the stars that we saw in this game, whether it's Renard Henri, Basher as well, who we spoken about, who is the young player of the Champions League tournament this time, fabulous winger. Pateas, Jenny Hermoso, Hegerberg, Lika Martins even. I got really excited about the Euros ahead, Linz, and I'm sure you and Yanks, you too, just the kind of skill that we're going to see on display this summer. Yeah, definitely. I think there's so much quality in um, in all the players that we're playing, but all, all the different countries, all the different nations, uh, I think it will be a fantastic showpiece in this country. Yeah. Obviously, we want... I want England to do well, um, you know, so rooting for them. But the other games are, are just going to be top drawer, I think. I had a chat with Emma Hayes on Monday and she told me the team that she thinks to look out oh, for. Who? So we'll come on to that later. Shall, okay, I, shall I save fine. that? Shall I save that for a bit later on? <laughs> okay, as long as we um, don't forget about it later on. Yeah, yeah, you'll have to tease. remind me. Such a tease. <laughs> <laughs> the reason being, Charlotte, before you go, I wanted to just get your, your thoughts on how Barcelona respond to this you look at the the domestic leagues and clearly they're just running away with it in Spain so when it comes to playing a side like Leon again it might actually be the next time they face each other could be the Champions League final again or certainly uh, the latter stages of the competition so what do they do to prepare it's a really good point and Puteas actually pointed it out at um, the end of the game saying no matter how much we train, we need this competitive rhythm that they have and that we don't have in our league. We all have to work together and improve the infrastructure. If we want to have this competitive ry- rhythm, many things should change. So you see Barcelona winning a perfect domestic season, 30 out of 30 league games, a goal difference of 148 and teams languishing away at the bottom. But I'd say it's the same for the French league. Yep, you've got PSG and Lyon and Paris FC pushing at the top. But again, there's a big gap and the French League isn't even professional. But it's a, it's a really interesting scenario that we have these poor group of European teams that aren't playing each other often enough. And I was at Juventus last week and had a quick word with former Arsenal manager Joe Montemura as well. And he was saying, we need these competitive games more frequently. And the Champions League reform has done that to an extent, introducing the group stages. 
but mm-hmm. um, why wouldn't you want to see more of Barcelona against Lyon, uh, Wolfsburg, the big teams in England as well, playing more games? We're going to have the Super League rear its head again, but in the women's now. <laughs> it is a good point, though, isn't it? I mean, we're no doubt going to benefit from having three teams in the Champions League rather than two from the WSL. But it is a good point about, you know, surely that is the best, most natural way to evolve the WSL even further to get more competition between European teams in there. Anyway, Charlotte, look, thank you so much for joining us there. Loads of food for thought and also great to get your reaction after the game as well. I wonder if the Barcelona fans were as vocal in Turin afterwards as they were before. They weren't. Uh, They were silenced and quickly outvoiced by the Lyon supporters who did the Viking clap at the end, which was a really (laughs) moment um, with with the Lyon team. I had a quick chat with some Barca fans on Sunday who are obviously disappointed, but they'll be hungry. They'll be back for more, I'm sure. Well, thanks for joining us, Charlotte. Great to speak to you. Well, Lindsay and Rachel, I'm sure we'll all want to see a rematch of that one sometime soon. Barcelona and Leon up against each other. But let's see whether Chelsea, Arsenal or Manchester City can rock the boat next season first, shall we? You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, back in the UK, just before the Champions League final on Saturday, it was the National League playoff to see who'd be promoted to the championship, Southampton or Wolves. Did really well there, Millie Mott, to win that header and glance it on. And Farrow's in space. Farrow, could she take on to her? She does. Sophia Farrow has given Southampton the lead. A really composed finish from the Southampton number 12. And Lauren Impey. Blows the full-time whistle. Southampton have done it. Southampton are in the FA Women's Championship. Yes, the Saints go marching on to the Championship. Thanks to Sophia Farrow, who rounded the keeper to score the only goal of the game. Uh, Wolves held their own despite going down to 10 players after defender Kelly Darby was sent off with a second yellow. uh, But Wolves couldn't find an equalising goal. Well, to hear what this means to Southampton, we've got their manager, Marianne Spacey-Kale, with us. Hi, Marianne. Congratulations. Hi, how are you? And thank you very much. Uh, I hope you just about managed to put the glass of Prosecco down. I hope it's been flowing freely since the weekend. Marianne, this is back-to-back promotion secured for Southampton women. Such a great achievement. How does it feel, first of all? Yeah, I'm I'm very proud of the players and the staff and the club for the the you know, the fact that we've got into the championship after, you know, which was a tough couple of years with COVID and then still maintain the standards that we wanted from the players and the staff. So I'm very proud, very, um, obviously very happy. And I suppose as well, just uh, quite looking forward to what the next step is and what it all brings. It was a very tight game, just that one goal in it. Did you expect going into it that you were going to have to manage the game quite as closely as you as you were having to, especially towards the end? There were a few chances, weren't there? Yeah, we knew that Wolves have, have dominated their league all season, so we had absolutely no um, like no qualms that it was going to be a really tough battle, both technically, tactically, and physically. So we knew that at some point we had to we'd have to stand withstand a lot of pressure. 
but we we trusted ourselves, trusted the game plan, and you know I thought we played really well in the first half, but then the second half we we started to, we, especially with them lose going a player down, you t- sometimes overthink things and think because we've got eleven and they've got ten, we can do this. But we had to, you know, I think we should have stuck a little bit more to the game plan. But ultimately, when you when it's a game like that, it's a one-off game, and literally it was them or us getting into the championship. So the win's the important bit, and the performance will come second. Yeah, look, uh, really tight, as Lindsay says. But I think we need to pay tribute as well, which is which is what so often happens really as you go further down the the importance of academy players for your side Marianne just take us through the club's approach and how important it is for you to nurture talent and then for that talent to be able to repay some of that to you by their performances. Southampton Football Club is synonymous with player development potential into excellence has always been the strap line here so we're no different within the women's game and you know we've got a, a flourishing RTC from under 10s to 16s an RTC academy for those that we want to push onto the for, uh, onto the first team and obviously the success of the first team this season so you know the number I think we had seven out on the pitch on Saturday that have come through our Centre of Excellence or RTC program. So it's just, it's it's so important that you get players that have got a, a desire and a heart for the club, as well as a desire and a heart for the for playing football, because it means so much. We've got, you know, fan, fan, like players that are supporters of the club. So it's such a big connection, such an emotional connection that, you know, that's sometimes what you need in big games like it was on Saturday. You were semi-pro. Are you going to stay at that level or will you be able to go full-time now? Well, funnily enough, the reason I've got to shoot off at half one, I'm going into a board meeting. So uh, we're hopeful <laughs> that we'll get some good results and, and some good discussions. But, you know, we've we've worked tirelessly and the board have worked tirelessly and had really good conversations with the owners. And, you know, we're just now hopefully going to get some, uh, like, continue those conversations today. Yeah, well, we absolutely salute that and do waft in and say, sorry, I've been doing media engagements. It's so busy. We're so in demand. (laughs) (laughs) Waft in. Did you just tell her to waft in? Oh, yeah. Yeah, waft in, waft in. Sorry, guys. So much on. Um, No, we, we, I mean, seriously, we, we, we absolutely salute that. So good luck in that cause, definitely. No wonder you're going to be in back-to-back meetings all day, Marianne, because the the FA have announced as well this breaking news of the the new strategy for Women's National League. One million pounds is going to be invested from the Premier League over the next three seasons. And that's all with a view to try and get the game to another level, bring the game from the third and fourth tiers up, increase attendances, commercial partners, all that sort of thing, uh, facilities, coaches, referees. Have you had any reaction to that in-house today? You know, we've had discussions about the strategy and, you know, the, the most important thing is that the the game is seen to continue growing. Because I know there's a lot of discussions previously about promotion and both teams winning, winning their league or their division and not being able to be promoted. So I think it's really important that with the growth of the game, the number of clubs that are investing in their women's team, the resources, the facilities, that there isn't a ceiling. And hopefully this investment will smash that ceiling and give everybody the aspiration and the opportunity to win a division and still get promoted. So I think in the next two or three years with the 
like you said, the more and more clubs coming into the game with the investment that's required, the game will just explode again. And it will be the WSL, the Championship, the Women's National League will be working together to ensure that all clubs have got that opportunity. Mm. Yeah, we, we spoke to Dan McNamara, the Wolves manager, last week, and and he was quite strongly against the playoff game even existing. So it felt, it felt like it was very unfair for it to come down to one game after both teams had worked so hard throughout the season. And I was a bit disappointed not to see anything more more sort of concrete on that today, Marianne. I have to say, would you agree that the playoff game isn't the way to do it going forward? I think going forward, you have to, you know, it's it's been a, it's been how it's had to be over the last few years because of the, again, you look at the the clubs that are in the division. But now that the game is growing, then you have to move with the times and move with the resources that that clubs are now investing in. So, you know, there's it's important that those those invested clubs see that there's an opportunity as long as they see and they they hear that the. The, the playoff game or promotion is, you know, if it's promotion first and then a playoff game for another team to go up, I think that's what continues that that support and continues the resource being invested. Well, we've got your former teammate with us today, Rachel Yankee. You can hear you can hear the baby gurgles in the background, Marianne, because <laughs> whilst you've been busy at Southampton, Yanks has been busy herself. Um, got- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to say there. Thanks. Her, her face there, that was hilarious. Um, what, what have you made of what Marianne's gone on to do, Yanks? Um, well, it's been fantastic. I mean, firstly, it takes a lot because you should have got promoted and then obviously COVID stopped it. And then, you know, to, for the team to continue with the same, same success, but in their own style, I think that's that's to be commended really is that you know you can you can see sort of people you know going in and buying a whole heap of players but wanting to try and bring through the youth and and stick with the system that obviously Southampton has you know that's fantastic and it, and it's working and you know the championships is a, it's a hard league so you know you'll need to have have the best sort of environment and culture and and I'm sure that Marianne would have you know she's been working on that and, and set that up and and they'll have fun in that league and hopefully they can they can do well so I wish you the best of luck Max cheers Yanks <laughs> is it any surprise Yanks that Marianne's gone on to do what she's done I mean obviously she was involved with the England coaching setup for a long time but was she always destined to be a coach off the pitch, away from the pitch during your time playing with her on the pitch, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I mean, Marianne's been coaching for years. I remember down at Fulham, obviously, you know, Marianne was a coach and a manager there and then sort of went on, done some stuff with the England, with the with the youth side. So I think that's that's where I see the best fit is that you Marianne could have had the pick of teams or places to go, but you've you've placed yourself as some uh, somewhere that links into what Marianne likes and that's working with the youth players uh, and bringing up so it's that do you agree she agrees um <laughs> so I think that's that's where obviously the manager and the club it all in lines and that's why obviously you know you can you can do such a great job if you if you're working for someone that has the same beliefs as you so you know we know that obviously as a player Marianne was one of the best you know um you know before her time, people, you know, people would, it's a pity that people don't remember 
players bef- that when I was young players that I was growing up with because talented players and, and Marianne sort of set the standard. So for her to be able to, you know, teach these players and, and obviously bring through um, the right sort of culture and, and what they need to become the best, you know, it's, these players are only going to benefit. That's a really good point because I wanted to ask Marianne, do you have to play videos of yourself to the players and go, look, I do know what I'm talking about here? <laughs> yeah, no, that doesn't happen. Okay, well, no, no, it doesn't happen. Okay, Just get a demo, do put your boots on. on. Yeah, so every now and then. So if I do it on a, on a, like one Tuesday, <laughs> it takes me two months to get over it and then I might do it again in two months' time, get out on the pitch again. <laughs> Well, we wish you all the best for life in the championship next season, Marianne. We'll be keeping a beady eye on how you get on and hopefully uh, you'll be back on this show to to give us an update partway through the season, if you don't mind. No, of course not. And uh, thank you very much for your time and appreciate you keep supporting the women's game the way you do. No worries at all. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, all the best to Marianne Spacey-Kale and Southampton for next season in the championship. In other news, Vivian Miedemar has signed a new Arsenal contract. She says she'll be the highest paid women's footballer in England. And Jill Scott's leaving Manchester City too. Yanks, let's get your take on Vivian Miedemar. Of course, the WSL is a richer place with her. She's a richer player now, I suppose, as well. But she'll want some results out of that Arsenal team, won't she? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, it's taken a long time in some people's eyes for her to for her to sign this sign this new contract and whether you know that was the talks about what Arsenal were going to do so obviously they've convinced her that, that it's the right place to be which is I, th- I think a good thing because you don't you don't want to lose a player like Miedemar from the league I mean what she brings her, her stats her numbers are unbelievable Arsenal you know wouldn't want to lose her from the team you know, not just her goal scoring ability, but you know, the, the, you know, some of the games where she's linked up play, she's been outstanding, and um, you know, she's she's looked in more recent weeks uh, like she's having fun on the pitch, which is always a worry, I think, um, when a player looks like that. <laughs> really? Yeah. What's more to come? Because um, she looks really happy, and so I think it's a good it's a good sign for Arsenal. I think a good sign for the league. That um, obviously, I'm sure that there was a lot of clubs that would have been wanting her signature, but the fact that she wants to still be at Arsenal and still play in this league so sends out a really strong message. And now I think, you know, Arsenal have to have to really, you know, be pushing on to be winning cups, winning titles uh, and, and obviously get into those Champions League finals and, and, and winning it. Yeah, she turned down highly lucrative offers from PSG and Barcelona. Just a quick one on Jill Scott, by the way. If you haven't seen it, do check out Jill Scott's thank you poem on Instagram. Thank you, Manchester City. It starts, 2014, first game, I remember the date. To be honest, I probably turned up late, but it didn't stop the excitement to start a clean slate. Uh, We love Jill Scott on this show, as many people do. Check it out on Jill Scott's Instagram and all the best to her after leaving Manchester City. I'm sure that she will continue in the game, but, you know, there is a burgeoning career as a rap artist, I feel. (laughs) Or a poet. A poet laureate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope she doesn't rap. (laughs) (laughs) I could see her, I could see her, like, dropping the mic yanks at the end. (laughs) Um, Oh, gosh. (laughs) 
On to other news. Chioma Ubogayu has been banned for nine months for a doping violation. In her acne medicine, there was a banned substance which isn't performance enhancing, but it can be used to mask other substances. Uh, she was provisionally suspended in January, so she can't play again now until October 2022. Spurs are going to expand their anti-doping training now because of the incident. It was one of those. I saw the article in the Players' Tribune, Rachel. I don't know whether you you read that through as well, where you really do feel for both sides on this. Clearly, there are these protocols in place to try and stop any performance-enhancing drugs. But from her point of view with acne medication and being prescribed something out in America and then coming back here and not realising it was on the banned list, you also feel for her as a player in this one. Yeah, definitely. And to be honest, it could happen to anybody and it it probably could happen a lot more because I think, for me, I don't think as as footballers, um, definitely when I was playing, we didn't didn't really look at the drugs testing list and and you, you rely on the doctor. And actually, when 2012, the Olympics, taught us all a, a big lesson, I think, because the um, the whereabouts forms that you have to fill out are, uh, they, athletes are used to it, footballers aren't. When we were in tournament, the doctor did it, but when we got knocked out of the tournament, but the t- tournament was still going on, we had to do it. And a whereabouts form is literally, what are you doing for every minute of the day so where are you at 10 o'clock right down where you are at one o'clock because they can come testers can come to your house they can come anywhere and I don't think as footballers we really know that and really pay attention to it and obviously you know you've got to make sure that anything bought in a different country you then look up and make sure it abides by the rules in this country so it's it's a hard one and and I really feel for you but, you know, she's sort of taking it on the chin, it seems like. And, um, you know, she'll take the ban and, and hopefully she'll come back stronger and, and be really good for Spurs. Do you think, Yanks, that, first of all, were you, before 2012 got underway, was there a discussion with all the players where the doctor said to you, what are you taking? Give me a list of all your medication before we even kind of get into the tournament side of this. And should that happen at the beginning of every season where there's an amnesty almost, you know, everyone declares what medication they're on so that this kind of instance can be preempted? I think at the beginning of every season, there are these talks uh, usually, well, definitely in tournaments, you know, the testers will come in and, and tell you and, and you'll be informed, just like the referees come into, you know, the camp and, and tell you sort of what, what they will and won't accept. And, uh, you know, you, you know, so you, you do have these conversations. I just don't think as footballers, we take, we rely too much on the team doctor to actually advise us and do all the work for us as, as footballers. And, and this, is a, this is a massive lesson learned, but hopefully other players can look at this and see that you have to be responsible for whatever you're taking, whatever you're putting in your body, because there's, there's even, you know, cold remedies that flag up that would be on the banned substance list where you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even think of that, that you've got a cold, someone might give you, you know, you might be at a friend's house, someone gives you something just to, just to relieve that cold. But you, you can't take it and you have to be really, really cautious. So I think just a lesson for all players out there like to, to learn from this. And unfortunately, she's been the one that's, you know, being hit by it. And I'm sure it is just an innocent mistake. But, um, you know, we must learn. 
Mm, okay, well, she'll be back from October 2022. Uh, that's it for the club season uh, and uh, digesting what happens domestically and, of course, in the Champions League. Um, it means it's time for us to take a little break, Lindsay, after what's been a, a brilliant season to cover. And that's before we get into Euros mode, which I'm sure we're both looking forward to. Very exciting. Should we have a quick chat about that before we go? I'm so excited to see who's going to make the final cup for England. I'm excited to see other mega stars throughout Europe featuring in this one as well. Yanks, I'm, I'm conscious that you played in 2005, didn't you, when England last hosted. What should players expect from a home tournament? I don't know whether the Olympics would be would be a better comparison or, or, or that that might have been kind of one of those one-off occasions because of the size of the crowds and the size of the stadiums. But what was it like back in 2005? And what are you hoping for this summer? Um, I mean, 2005 was was amazing, you know. But I think for for players now, they will be used to this and experience it in in terms of uh, WSL matches, playing for England regularly, sort of getting big crowds, having coverage. Uh, so I suppose social media where people are, are sort of talking about you. Back in 2005, we weren't used to that. Um, so turning up on the coach and seeing so many fans walk into the games kind of like well where are they going <laughs> not realizing that they're actually <laughs> well you had to crowds game. like crowds of over twenty five thousand, didn't you for two of England's games I was having a look at it today and it was sort of a mini tour of the northwest wasn't it Blackpool Blackburn City of Manchester Stadium Preston Warrington as well so you were very very concentrated yeah it yeah it was all held in in the northwest and but it was fantastic I mean you know that it just I remember being on the coach, driving to the games and going past billboards and billboards with you, you on it. And you're like, what is going on? And then seeing people <laughs> with, you know, you, their, your name on the back of their shirt and you're like, what? It, it was something that we weren't prepared for, but totally embraced and, and loved it and was like, right, we need to, we need to make sure we perform. And I think, you know, unfortunately we didn't get, didn't obviously get out of the group stages and get further, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was definitely the start of something. But I think nowadays the players, they're much more prepared for that. They have to prepare for, for obviously the pressure of the home Euros. But, you know, I think um, they have to embrace that and enjoy it. And, you know, I, I hope whoever gets the nod to be in that England squad, you know, go out there and, and do your best and have fun. Because we've got a very talented team that, that fingers crossed, could go a long way. Should we all give a favourite Euros memory? I know that you'll have one, Kate. You can start us off. I'll go back to 2017, so not that far in distant memory. Jodie Taylor putting a hat-trick past Scotland. I mean, that was a great, you know, a cracking statement of intention from the Lionesses. But also remember, she scored the goal to ensure that England beat France. It took them through to the semi-finals in that tournament. It was a great one for Jodie Taylor. And just, you know, it, it, it had been like 43 years since we'd beaten France. So, you know, that, I know it's fairly recent, but that one sticks out for me. Yanks, what about you? Um, I think back to that that opening game against Finland in the city of Manchester Stadium, a young Karen Carney coming onto the pitch and uh, <laughs> scoring that goal, and uh, yeah, those celebrations, and, and then getting told off by her mum for swearing. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Oh, Hoops? brilliant! I think it might be 2017 as well, Kate. But for the fact that Frank Kirby had come back from an injury. I'm tying all this in because having had this conversation with Emma Hayes, she also gave me great encouragement on Monday that Frank Kirby could feature 
this summer. And I know a lot of people have been wondering whether she would get minutes towards the end of the season. She was on the bench for the final game against Manchester United in WSL, but apparently has been training brilliantly and, and could very much be included. And if you remember going into Euro 2017, she'd had such a great time out in Canada that she'd been deemed the mini Messi, do you remember, by Mark Sampson? Why did he do that? Oh, Why no. did we he hate, do We that? hate those male comparisons, don't we? But anyway, she was. Um, and it gathered some momentum. She had that great performance against Mexico in the World Cup. And then had this year out with a really serious injury, but came back in 2017. She scored against Spain. And it was a real gamble to select her, but one that paid off. And I think that might be another gamble, a similar gamble, that Serena Wiegmann might have this mm. summer. But I am convinced if Fran Kirby gets the nod, she will, as she always does, deliver. Yeah, she's got a few gambles, isn't she, to make at the moment as she works out how to whittle that team down. You know, injury concerns to Steph Horton, Jill Scott as well as has been injured. Um uh, we can't go, Lindsay, before finding out what the intel was from Emma Hayes. Was it just about Frank Kirby or did she name the whole starting lineup for her? No, she, did, she didn't go into that much detail. But what she did say, and I know that we always do this, Kate, when we do our Euro preview pod, we try and pick out a team who we think are going to go really far in the competition. And Emma Hayes said, it is Sweden to watch out for for her Mm. so I will be saying that I mean if it's good enough for Emma Hayes it is good enough for me I'm taking (laughs) that for the preview pod forward fair enough very much fair enough Uh, let's round it up there then that's all we've got time for on this week's athletic women's football podcast a big thank you to you Rachel Yankee and to Sienna who's now crashed out on your shoulder such as the exhaustion after our big intensive football chats. so thank you very much to you Rachel and hopefully we'll check in with you during the Euros no problems thank you And a big thanks to you if you've been listening throughout the season or if you found us during the season. A huge, huge dose of appreciation from us. And don't forget, we've got some very special Euros pods coming up during the summer. So stay with us for those. It has been quite the season as well. We've had lots of insight from different guest pundits, Enia Luko, Jess Fishlock. We've had Kelly Smith, Rachel Brown Finnis, many more in between. Uh, great chats as well with players from Ellen White, Penilla Harder, Beth Mead, Erin Cuthbert, Lauren Hemp. Loads and loads week on week. So do make sure you check in with us again next season. Uh, fantastic dedication as well from you, the listeners. Ah, uh, well... Let's round it up then. An exciting summer ahead. We've got preview shows and daily podcasts throughout the Euros. So look out for that. Tell your friends and get your family involved too. And your dog and your baby. As Lindsay and Rachel Yankee have proven, everyone can get involved with this show. Time for a bit of well-earned rest for myself and Lindsay. We'll be back in a few weeks. Bye for now. Bye and go England. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with NOW. With a Now Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. The Athletic.